everybody. Welcome back to the Three Crosses podcast. Um, my name is Danny Strange, and I will be hosting this podcast for the next five weeks as we embark on a new series at church called Godspeed. Throughout this series, we're going to be jumping through the book of Acts and learning together what it means to live the with God life, how to walk through an adventurous life with the Spirit of God like Jesus promised we could do. And so today on our podcast, we're going to launch this by hearing an amazing story from someone in our church named Annie Wilson. Annie grew up here at our church and then spent eight years as a missionary in Ukraine before coming back. And now she just jumped onto our staff as our elementary school director. We're excited to have Annie as part of our staff. And I'm really excited today for you guys and for me to hear Annie's story of how God met her in a moment at the Biola Prayer Chapel after walking away from a missions meeting and just kind of started grabbing her heart towards something amazing and adventurous and new. So you're going to enjoy this podcast today as we listen together. Welcome to the Three Crosses Podcast, Amy. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Is this your first podcast ever? First podcast ever in well, my life. You will quickly learn. This is also my first podcast I've ever recorded. Perfect. I'm so sure it's going to be really good. We're going to do very, very well. Yes. Can you tell, you're new to our church in terms of our staff. You just joined our staff this month, which is awesome. We're very excited about that. Um, you grew up here, Castro Valley, Omega, all that. Can you give our, our folks a little bit of the Annie Wilson backstory? A little backstory. So I was born in San Lorenzo, raised up in this area. Um family that is open to Christianity, a mom who's a believer, but it wasn't always Sunday, church, that whole routine. But when I was nine, a friend invited me to a summer camp, and I can still remember that really distinct moment sitting in the pew at Alliance Redwoods. It was the front pew, and the speaker just kept asking if anybody else wanted to give their life to the Lord, and I felt that like pounding in my chest, that knowing feeling, even just being nine. And so he gave that last little moment and I like barely got my hand in the air, but it felt like this victory, like I did it. And, um, and then I prayed with my counselor and that moment, even just being a third or fourth grader, whatever I was, I was so serious about it. And then, uh, went to different churches for a while, ended up in high school coming to Omega when a new youth pastor was starting like the very first night he was starting um, small groups and I got put in a small group and that was again another one of those big moments where when you can look back you see oh God meant for me to be a part of that group and meant for me to make a connection with this youth pastor and his wife and uh, Chris and Melinda kind of helped guide me through high school and encouraged me to check out Biola University it's a Christian university down in Southern California I visited I fell in love I was blind to the financial figure that they posted. <laughs> Gotta go here. And so then uh, that's where I ended up going to schooling and ended up making some different decisions than I planned there. I went to Biola with like a super good plan in place, a very good Christian girl. Like I really wanted to serve the Lord, go get a degree, get myself a husband, like probably go on a missions trip at least once because that seemed like a checkbox you 
you have to check off going to a Christian school and then you know, live live the American dream while serving Jesus somehow. <laughs> uh, I love the just that idea of moments. You know, you talk about a, being a nine-year-old at the chapel of Alliance Redwoods and like our men's ministry has been there a lot. Different folks in our church have been there a lot. We can imagine that that place. Like for me, I have a moment probably 10 feet from that spot where I was just like laying there on this little like bench right outside the chapel and God met with me. How does it feel to be now back here at the church working with elementary kids and like now you've got these nine-year-olds who are about to have these moments and you're a part of it? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty excited. Austin and I have been talking a lot about the dreams we have in light of that. Uh because we realize how open they are to who God is and to having faith in him. So we get really excited to bring in different things that impacted us to them, how ready they are to talk about Jesus. So I'm pretty excited. And it's fun to hear those stories because like a lot of times we forget that God meets with us at a, in a really tangible and exciting way, even when we're nine. You know, a lot of times we feel like, well, that stuff's for people who are teenagers or in their 20s or 30s. But God shows up, breaks through in these amazing ways with kids who are four or five or nine years old. And mm-hmm. I'm excited you're a part of that. That's cool. Thanks. I'm excited. Well, the moment we want to talk about today, this is a very exciting moment for me, is there's a story. It's a story about you at Biola trying to move towards the American dream and instead God like crushing that dream and giving you a new one. Um, and so I would love to hear a little bit, and I think everybody in our church would love to hear a little bit about what that was like. Can you tell us about those events that when God uh, broke through again, like you did when you were nine? Um, so I, there I was, Biola, freshman, first semester, just figuring out everything. I had one night class, and as I was coming back, uh, Biola had this way of every three feet posting another poster. So like, if you didn't see it three feet ago, you're seeing it again. So my whole walk back, I just keep seeing that this missions meeting is about to start. And that's where they talk about all the missions trip, the s- trips that the school is sending out for that summer and spring break and whatnot. And I kept feeling like, why do I keep seeing these posters? Like, why? I've, I've known this meeting is coming, but for some reason, the posters were really catching my attention. And I was walking and talking with the Lord just in my head of like, but maybe a mission trip after sophomore of the year. This year, I'm going to work, make money, do those different things later we'll go on a missions trip. And then as I get to my dorm and I'm literally about to open the door, I have this feeling of I need to go to this meeting. And so instead of opening the door, I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to the meeting, but you and I both know I'm not going on a trip. Oh, wait, hold, how, tell me about this feeling. Like, how do you know you're supposed to go to a meeting? Right? It's just, I could not get it out of my head. Something about going into my room and not going there didn't feel right, even though they'd had those posters up for probably three weeks and they had never caught my eye until suddenly that night. And it just felt like I needed to go at least here and be open. That kind of sense of you always hear about being willing. Maybe it won't be what you are called to do, but be willing and open to that calling. And I always thought, like, I'm willing, but... I'm not called. Mm. Like, I get to stay safe and here, and that's better. It's, I will help send people. But in that moment, it was just, I need to go to this meeting and truly show that I'm willing. So you leave your dorm room. Mm -hmm. You go to this meeting, and you're a good Christian person, willing to follow the Lord. Right. Are you like, also hoping he's not going to call you to do anything? Or are you like leaning in or like you're sweating? What are you like? This moment. As you're walking across the campus, what are you feeling? 
I was, I would think I like barely made it in time as it was starting and I was still, you know, freshman and unsure of like, I don't want to show up late and feeling awkward as I go in. I see this one little open spot and I really was praying of, okay, Lord, if there is a trip, let me know. I don't know how I thought he would let me know, but just that, I think in that moment I was truly opening my heart to what he might have for me. Um, It turns out there were 14 trips going. They went in alphabetical order. So it was a lot of trips and every single trip sounded amazing. I remember there was uh, a Hawaii one and I thought that would be awesome. Like every trip sounded like something that would be great to be a part of. And then suddenly they finally get to the U's. comes after Uganda. They've got a trip going there. That sounded great. Ukraine. And I knew practically nothing about Ukraine. Like I can say I knew Oksana Bayul was their first Olympic figure skater uh, gold medal in the Olympics after becoming their own country because it was very into figure skating. But outside that, I knew nothing about Ukraine. You knew one more thing about Ukraine than I did. <laughs> can you tell us where Ukraine is? Right. It's Right on the border of Russia, it's actually a pretty big Eastern European country. It's one of the largest over there. Like I should know a little more than I do. Is what you you're know, saying? most people should. Yeah, okay. A lot of people call it the Ukraine. Yep. There's no the. Okay, it's just, just Ukraine. Ukraine. It's its own little country. Yeah, okay. It's next to Poland, so it's smashed in between Poland and Russia. But Poland's kind of figured it out a little bit more since communism. Russia or Ukraine's still trying to figure things out. South of Romania. All those kinds of countries you hear about. And now so, we're all on the same page. Yeah. So Ukraine. There it shows up. You're at the U's. You've yeah. been in this me- How long have you been at this meeting? At this oh, point? I couldn't tell you. It had to have been a while because every group's leaders went up and talked about their trip and we're trying to sell it, you know, trying to, to get everybody on board for their trip. So Ukraine leaders go up and they start talking about a five-week trip to an orphanage in Ukraine to do a summer camp for kids. And again, that heartbeat out of my chest moment was happening again. I had no idea why, but I was like, I have to go on this trip. Was it like, were you excited about what, you know, like with Hawaii, you're like, oh, that sounds fun. Uganda, that sounds fun. Like, did it sound extra fun? It didn't even just sound fun. It sounded like a, this is the trip I need to be on. Like, something made so much sense with it. And I was so excited. So you, we only had like one more trip left to like Washington DC or something. So the meeting was pretty much over. They allowed, like if you wanna stay and ask the leaders questions and learn more. And in my head, I'm like, I should talk to them. I should introduce myself. I can't even think of a question. I have to get out of here. I was so excited and it just was like, I think of it as a moment of clarity where everything just made sense. That shouldn't make sense. It was like a huge curveball. It wasn't a part of my plan, but it was, everything felt really clear. So that was the the moment I just raced out of there and they had a prayer chapel on campus that was always super empty. Just this little prayer chapel. And I raced down there because I'm kind of overwhelmed with emotion and just excitement and really unexpected twist. And I'm in the middle of that prayer chapel. Nobody's in there. My arms are outstretched. And I'm just saying, like, here I am, Lord, send me. Like Verbally saying it, knowing it, meaning it. And that that moment of clarity happened. And I would love to say from that moment, I, like, did everything I was supposed to after. But then I woke up the next morning. And all the weight of all the different things and plans and what I was supposed to take care of and 
working that summer and I'm not going on a trip. It cost $2,000 or however much it was. I can't raise that money and my parents will probably think I should be working and what I'm, and it was just suddenly like, nope, I'm not going to go on this trip. So like evening, absolute clarity, Mm -hmm. totally makes sense. Of course. Morning, cloudy, muddy. Yes. No way. What was I thinking? I I was so, wait, did you feel like dumb? I I just was, I was like, I wanted to put that little moment behind me. Like, okay, that was fun to think about for a moment, but it's not realistic. Okay. So how do you, so I'm assuming you ended up going. Like, you know. Okay. So how did you move from cloudiness to like breaking back into like, I'm doing it? Did you like. I honestly wrestled with God a lot. It was, again, those moments when you can't get something out of your head. And you know it's not your own thought, but it's also this good thing. Like, it's not like, go do something horrible. It's go help orphans, which is totally (laughs) biblical. It's not like you're like, everything in you is just like, your flesh is saying, you should help orphans and make no money and (laughs) go to a place you don't know. Exactly. So that just wouldn't go away. And as I talked to people... Again, I think seeking out people you trust and um, wise advice I received from um, from people throughout the process of just, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You need to trust that. And that was one of those big moments for me because I don't think I'd ever really thought about that reality fully. Mm-hmm. And just thinking, okay, God, if you want me to go on this trip, like, I you'll provide, it'll happen. I was on the stairs outside my dorm with the application. There were 30 minutes before the applications were due, and I was in tears because that was kind of turning that in was more the physical act of letting go of plans because I'd had the pen in my hand, and I was writing my story, and I liked where it was going, Mm -hmm. and that was kind of like saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to give you the pen. By turning in this application, I'm going to let the story change according to what you're drawing me to. We did interview process it turned out they had so many people returning to the trip from the year before they only had four spots and like 18 people applied and I was like oh little freshman Annie's not gonna get to go I ran into one of the leaders and it had been a while since interview she's like oh Emily it's so good to see you (laughs) and I was like oh it's Annie okay and she said you should hear tonight we're finalizing plans and then that night passed and I thought Emily's probably going on this trip. <laughs> Whoever this Emily is. <laughs> Whoever Emily is. But then I got the email and started preparing to go. And again, our expectations versus what God has. I like thought I was gonna hold little tiny orphans and I ended up working with like teenagers, but it was fantastic. <laughs> so you signed up for a five week trip. Mm-hmm. How long did you end up living in Ukraine? I lived there for almost eight years. So that's that's crazy. I did ministry in Ukraine from that moment into living there for about 12 years. And I still get to, but. Did you just, like, ha- tell me how you went from, did you five weeks then come back and then graduate school and then go after it again? What was that? How'd you go from short term to long term or medium term? Coming back from five weeks with kids and just learning their stories and touching their brokenness and learning that the way a lot of groups function, which can often be great, but you're going in, you do a trip, you come home, and these kids are still in the village without food, without clothes, without learning about Jesus. They got this five week of awesome, like, let me pour out love on you, let me hug you, and then it 
drops off. So immediately when my team returned, we all felt like it had been a phenomenal trip and we just needed to go back. So we started planning to go back and I wish it was a totally smooth process and trying to go back, but a lot of things went wrong along the way, but we were able to go back and go back again. And the organization we worked with just had a different vision. And so they said, we do three years at an orphanage and after that we're done. We just feel like if the kids haven't come to Christ by then and there are too many orphanages, they felt they needed to spread out. But I felt like I now know and love these kids and they need something consistent. So, you know, you do what you got to do and you talk to people you can and you start an organization with other people. You know, you just did what we needed to do. So I did that throughout college. And then we were set up with different organizations and kind of the specific group we created to be able to be in the village of that orphanage with a lot of smarter people working alongside us. Then I moved to Ukraine after college. And what did you do when you lived there? I got to kind of seek out what I wanted. One of my main things was I got to plan programs at the orphanage. I got to be the lady that the orphanage director would call if a kid was really struggling and really speak into their lives and try to help them with their anger. I got to plan camps for kids who were older. And after 14, they leave the orphanage and they're totally not ready. So I was a house mom to a bunch of teenagers. How old are you when you did that? 23, 24. <laughs> Perfect, that's uh-huh. great. 22, whatever it was. Um, taught them to clean, taught them to cook and help them and just go and whatever kind of God was, it was, it's that beautiful time of you have a vision of where you want God, God wants you to go, but you don't really know the steps of each day. So it would be waking up and it might be a crisis happened. It might be helping a kid get into another school and convincing directors that, no, this kid's going to be super good for you. <laughs> you absolutely want him. And um, yeah. That's the quick gist of what I did. So you're 23, you're a mother to all these teenage children, Mm -hmm. you're an advocate, you're a social worker, you're a summer camp director, Mm -hmm. evangelist, missionary, all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you still, at the same time, you wake up each day and it's like, what's the adventure today? Yep. It was like, I always say, no matter what, when I'm, however old I get to be on a rocker sitting there, I will remember all of those days in Ukraine are some of the greatest ever. Even though when I think about them, they were also some of the absolute hardest days of my life. Okay. I don't know if I want to ask you to tell us about the hardest days of your life, but tell us about when you're sitting on that rocker, what are the days? What's in your brain? What are the memories? Being at the river with all the kids just jumping in, having all these kids that I learned so much about what it means to show God's love not just to speak it. At first, I didn't know the language. Obviously, with time, I did. But something about sharing God's love, that's not your own love, with kids who have never experienced love for the most part, is pretty amazing. And so I just, the summer nights, jumping into the river, hanging out with all those kids, those are, yeah, just being in the village, the quiet, the beauty. What about the crazy? What's the crazy memory? Like the crazy moments, the good moments where God moved. Tell me tell me a good moment where God moved and tell me just something crazy. A good moment where God moved was 
I was first living there and you quickly learn the statistics are pretty true. About 70% of these kids end up in a life of crime. And so a lot of things happened right before I moved to Ukraine um, that kept me from moving when I planned. I actually got like a super crazy sickness and I was, I lost control of all my limbs and my eyes for a few months um, and doctors didn't know why. <laughs> Can we- that's another podcast. So let's put a pin in that one. All, all that to say, it hindered me from moving when I planned. I planned to move when a group of kids were getting out of the orphanage and on their own. This was the group of kids I felt like God wanted me to take care of them. I needed to be there for him. And I think God was like, this girl's going to go like no matter what I say right now. So he just flatlined me in bed. <laughs> like <laughs> You were going to move, so he made you paralyzed? <laughs> so he's just like, I got to keep this girl from going right now because I was just forging ahead at that moment. And, wait, wait, and was that like a figure of speech or were you actually like, you had you could not literally move? I couldn't really do it on my own, no. Everything shook. It was a really weird autoimmune disease that caused like my eyes to shake uncontrollably, my arms, my legs, my head constantly it was horrible um and you kept on trucking (laughs) well eventually (laughs) first it was like i probably only had a couple months to live but look at me now so i'm great you you're not shaking at all not nope everything stopped shaking but again that was that's another like god's God's miracle kept me from being in ukraine when i wanted to and during that time one of the kids i really felt called to help i just saw all these great things in him he actually made a horrible decision and ended up in prison. And so in my head, I could have been here. I could have stopped it. And God was like, no, I've got other plans. Trust it. There's a learning about the prison system in Ukraine and all these different things like passing food through is a normal thing you do. And so I would sit and wait these hours to pass food through to him. And um, we missed everything by just the littlest mark, like his appeal date we arrived at the courthouse a day after his final appeal could be made, just in trying to figure out the system. And then he ended up getting placed in a juvenile prison across the country. So Sumi is 20 minutes, maybe 45, from the Russian border. Where he got put is Lviv, which is way, 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 30, 26 hours on wow. a train to get to him. And then he was in a village outside of that. So... Of course, what do I do? He sends me a letter telling me he's there. Because I guess that's how it works. You get to send a letter to someone to let them know. And he chose to send me a letter. So I read this letter. Okay, what do we do but get on a train and head to this prison? Like, I don't know. Do you call someone first? No idea. So we arrive at this prison. And through the course of asking the first guy, I think they'd never seen Americans in this village before anyways. So they were kind of blown away, which was the key that got us to sitting in front of the prison chief. And the prison chief wasn't necessarily happy that we were there. He asked me a lot of questions like, do you think if you arrived in a prison in America and just asked to visit a kid, they'd let you? And in my head, I'm like, I don't know. I have yet to visit a prison in America. (laughs) But somehow through the conversation, we convinced him to give us a tour of the juvenile prison and he even let me leave something we called him sp because there were too many sasha's to count so he was sp i left something under his pillow for him and then he led us into a room and let us have a visit 
And then through the course of going to this big government building, getting through too many doors and we should never have been allowed through, we actually got permission to visit him every month for a four-hour visit each time. So 26 trips later, 30 hours each way on a train, Sasha actually made it out of the prison two years early based on his good behavior. And now what's amazing is he's a kid that's living in the village where the orphanage is, sharing Christ with kids at the orphanage. And so his whole process of coming to Christ happened in that prison and through those visits. And so, yeah, it's one of those good, awesome, crazy God stories. So 30 visits, is that what you said? I know for sure it was 26. 26 visits, 30-hour trip, is that what you said? 30 hours each way. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go on train ever again. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, that's so amazing to hear the... Even like the the idea of you jumping in the river with these kids, spending time showing them you love them, like that's a lot of time investing in someone that all just cumulatively shows them your love and Christ's love for them, and God works through that, worked through that in awesome ways. That's really that's a lot of train rides. It's <laughs> a lot of train rides, but yeah, when you when you can look back, there's a lot of things that God did of moments where every organization got kicked out of the orphanage because something went down with this other organization that was hosting kids so the orphanage director just said no nobody can come in and this is like three years of us living there and my whole sole purpose was to minister to the kids in this orphanage and thinking this is the end I should give up and then God just kind of put it on my heart to keep trying and eventually we have a one of our kids when she left the orphanage, inherited this little, I mean, if you want to call it a house, at the edge of the orphanage ground. And so I would just happen to visit her super often, and kids would find out. So they started to visit me at the house. And eventually I got the courage to ask the director again, can I meet the kids at this sports event that they're going to be competing in? And to to the point that years later, that relationship with the orphanage director was so much stronger than ever that when her husband died, she was confiding in me and crying to to me of what was going on in her heart and sharing different things that she felt was happening since he passed. Just You can look back through all those stories of moments where it called for perseverance or it called for you to do something that, I mean, okay, the door's shut. Can't go to the orphanage. Just move on. But when God like puts that where it, where it's not a human asking you, but it's God asking you, it gives you a courage to do something you wouldn't typically do. I don't often talk to prison chiefs. That's what they're <laughs> called in English, right? Um, I have no I idea. I genuinely don't know. Is that a warden? Is it a... Your husband Kyle behind you is saying warden is the answer. But isn't that just a guy who sees oversees like the guys in the thing? I don't know. He was the top dog. That's all I know. Top dog. I think that's actually, I think what we call them here in America, the top, <laughs> the top prison dog. Yep. So your time in Ukraine eventually came to an end. Mm-hmm. You moved, packed up, moved back to the States, kind of stepped into a, a new life, new reality. You're living the American dream now. <laughs> what, like, what are some of the things that you're, you look back at that time and you feel like, you know what? Like, I feel like I'm, approaching my life with God or my relationship with the spirit or just my relationship to this world in general differently. 
because I, I've experienced something there that kind of has changed that something in me. Like what's different now? Yeah, that was for sure my first experience of just like recklessly following Jesus, of not listening to all these different things and to have a family that the word missions was pretty foreign to and looked really crazy to. It just enabled me to see that God can move in huge and big ways when we slow ourselves down and get out of the way or not always having to figure everything out first. If I had asked someone, do I just go to this prison and show up? They would have told me, no, you don't just go. Um, You have to go through these steps and I never would have made it through those steps. So sometimes just saying, God's putting a call, I have to follow it. So I think being back in the States, I feel more of this tension that didn't exist before of not being willing to just say, okay, well, this is safe and easy and planned, and so I stick to it. So being willing to take the curveballs, even if those include like something good, like coming to work at the church, but it wasn't necessarily my plan. It's a curveball God throws, being willing to say, in hindsight, it's worth it to see God move and take the risks than to never get to see him move, but man, I stayed safe and I, I totally did okay. Mm-hmm. I think Francis Chan says it in one of his books of like the 80, 20% deal. Like if I say no 100% of the time, my failure rate is 100%. If I say yes 100% of the time, my failure rate might be 80%, but my success rate <laughs> is 20. Like it's worth taking some more risks if they line up with Christ and, and trying to figure that out more. But it's totally easy to start to see the day-to-day kind of flow past you. And I'm not sure when I slowed down and actually asked God, how do you want me to move today? Where do you want me to go? And is, I miss that sometimes. Is that kind of the key? Is like, like, are you waiting for God to reveal something to you? Like, okay, I'm going to do that. Or are you like actively seeking out? Like, how, do, how do you live in a relationship with God speaking? Is it like you're on call like a fireman or are you like out on patrol looking for God working? I think that's the privilege of being in Ukraine is that I kind of was on call, that my day wasn't as planned out. Obviously, as far as I understand, people here would like for me to show up to work and do certain things, right? There's things to Mm -hmm. plan, but it's also that sense of how do I slow myself down enough to, to actually listen to him rather than just get the tasks done, go home, go through the routine. And that routine sometimes I think gets in the way because when God throws that curveball, we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. But I've got to be here and I've got to do this. And yeah, trying to figure out how you navigate that. It sounds like you kind of figured out the secret of how to do that in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Have you figured out the secret in America yet? Not quite yet. (laughs) What, uh, how long have you been back? Three years. Three years. Mm -hmm. How long did it, how, how long did it take you to figure it out in Ukraine? like two seconds. <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like from the get-go, it was like, all right, I'm only here for this. I have no what? other things yeah. I have to do but to serve Christ. Like, but isn't that what it's supposed to be every day? Right? Like I'm on earth to serve Christ, mm-hmm. but there that was truly like my job. And that's kind of, I think that's probably the tension is there's that wrestling match with like, I feel like we're supposed to live like this, but we don't. And I think it's probably worth all of us wrestling and, and spending time with how, how do we? Like, how can we do that? Do we have to go across the world to live like a missionary? Or is it really possible to live a dynamic, powerful, world-changing life with the Spirit just in our normal lives? It's got to be possible, right? I definitely think so. Oh, we're going to figure it out. 
Thanks for thanks for meeting with me. Thanks for coming in. This is a good time. First podcast. This has you been can check good. Check that off. So here's the challenge: go figure out how to live the Ukraine life here, and then come back and teach us. Sounds great. And we'll do it. We'll figure it out together. Thanks for uh, coming in today. Yes. Thanks for joining us today on the Three Crosses podcast. I hope you were inspired by Annie's story of adventure with Jesus in Ukraine. I know we kind of ended with that tension of it's easy to live on this adventure with Christ across the world, but how do we do that here in America? And that's exactly what we're going to be spending the next four weeks on our podcast and the next four weeks in our church services wrestling through together is what does it mean to live that life with the Spirit here in our context today. So stick around, come to church on Sunday, download the sermons, download the podcast in the next few weeks. It's going to be great. We'll see you next week.